Let's return to John 17 and take up our Lord's Prayer when His hour had come before He went to the cross, which we do just before we go to His table where we remember His death till He comes. The first five verses. These words spake Jesus and lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Amen. Amen. The hour is come. The Lord's Supper is for us to remember that hour. He was on the threshold of that hour. And at that time, he prayed for his apostles and he prayed for us. He addresses his Father in heaven, which is a most comforting reminder of the relationship he has with God and our judge. He is his Son. And he asked the Father to glorify him, that he in turn might glorify the Father. And without ending that thought, he proceeds into what is to the glory of God. And that is the salvation of the elect. As. This is an adverb describing how God is glorified and how Jesus Christ is glorified. That the vessels of mercy can be lifted out of the same fallen mass of clay that makes up all of mankind. And the vessels of dishonor can be left to their own destruction for God to get glory on both hands. By his elective grace and salvation. He says, glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. And if God's being glorified and Jesus Christ is being glorified, then that's all the glory that can be sought. And the, the, the means of it is, and the object of it is, and the cause of it is the salvation of the elect. And that's in verse 2. As thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. We understand that there are three gifts in verse 2. We understand that God gave Jesus Christ the authority and power over all men. God put all authority into the hands of the Son of Man. We're told that in John chapter 7, verses 26 and 27. All authority and all judgment has been given to Jesus Christ because he is the Son of Man. And out of all humanity, over which Jesus Christ had total control and authority, he was to give eternal life. The blessing of total deliverance from sin for eternity in heaven to those that God had given him. So we have three gifts. God giving to Jesus Christ authority over all flesh. God giving to Jesus Christ those that were to be redeemed, and Jesus Christ giving to them 
and no more eternal life. That is the gift of eternal life. The religious world likes to tell us that God has only made salvation possible and he offers it to men that if they will give themselves to Jesus or if they will accept the offering, then they can be saved. But that isn't what this verse teaches and that isn't what the rest of the New Testament teaches. The rest of the New Testament teaches us that there is indeed an offering of Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ was not offered to sinners. He was offered to God by the eternal spirit. I read to you from Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14. It says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge yourself, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Jesus was offered, and he was offered by the Holy Spirit. But he wasn't offered to sinners. He was offered to God in heaven. If he had only been offered to us, we would have all rejected him. None of us. There was nothing in him that we should have desired him in our flesh. There is none that seeketh after God. There is none that understandeth that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. If he had merely offered Jesus to us, we all would have rejected him. And we all would have died in our sins without salvation. But thanks be to God, he gave us eternal life by his son Jesus Christ, whom he had given complete authority and power over all flesh to give eternal life to those that God had given him. We have read and we know the scriptures well. In Ephesians chapter 1, Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 9, 2 Timothy chapter 1, and in other places like John 6, John 10, and here in John 17 too, that God chose some sinners before the world began to be placed in Jesus Christ. To be saved by the purpose and grace of God that was in Christ before the world began. And that's what we have in verse 2 of John 17. Now the world says that he was offered to us. We've just shown from the Bible, and there is no other place where Jesus was offered to men. He was offered to God. Now the issue is, and they say, we must accept Jesus in order to have eternal life. But the issue in the Bible is not us accepting Jesus for eternal life. It's God accepting us in Jesus for eternal life. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6 or listen to the words. After having described our adoption as being the result of God's predestinating purpose that was given us in Christ before the world began, he says this, to the praise of the glory of his grace, glorify thy son that thy son may also glorify thee. God gets glory by the salvation of sinners. Amen. Ephesians 1, 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Amen. God accepted us. He made us acceptable so that he could accept us through what Jesus Christ did for us. That is how we are saved. It's a gift. God gave the Lord Jesus Christ total dominion and authority over all mankind. And he gave to Jesus Christ the sheep and the ones that he was to give eternal life to. And Jesus did that. And God and Jesus gives to them eternal life. 
And it's all the result of God giving us to Christ and Christ giving himself for us and offering himself to God who accepted the sacrifice so that we are accepted in the beloved. This is my well-beloved son in whom I am well-pleased. That is our salvation and that is to the glory of God. When you get to heaven, you're going to learn that 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is true indeed. Let not him that glorieth glory in himself, but glory in this. You know that salvation is of the Lord. We are to glory in the Lord and in him alone. Because that's where our salvation rests. And that's what verse 2 is telling us in this prayer. Notice the Lord Jesus just opens up his prayer and he immediately goes to the gift of eternal life. The gift of God's electing grace that put us in Christ. Because he's going to the cross in order to secure that eternal life for all of God's elect. And that is the glorifying work of God among mankind. There is a division in the angelic race between the devil and his angels and the elect and holy angels. And there is a division in the human race between those given to Jesus Christ by God the Father, chosen in him before the world began, predestinated in him, and those that were passed over and allowed to remain in their own sins to the just deserts of their eternal punishment, which they most assuredly earned themselves in Adam and in their own lives. This is the glory of God. Our flesh may crawl at it. Our flesh may rebel against it. Your flesh will. I just said may to be nice. Your flesh will resent that. But this is the truth of God's word. Don't you ever let your flesh try to help you figure out God. There is only one way for us to know the God of the the God, the true and living God, and the doctrine of salvation that is according to the truth. And that is to trust revelation, right. not rationalization. Amen. There's a God in heaven that gave us every opportunity to live forever in paradise. In the Garden of Eden, we chose to rebel against him, and we are lost without hope outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And it's wrapped up in verse 2. And as, he, as the Lord Jesus opens up, Look at what he has said so far. Father, we love that relationship Jesus has with God because it's to the comfort and salvation of our souls that he is the son of our creator God and he is the son of the judge of all the earth. There's comfort. The hour is come. What hour? When Jesus would die for his people. Glorify thy son. Father in heaven, magnify me, bless me with strength, make me all that I should be, bless me to represent you well on trial and on the cross, exalt me to thy right hand, where I shall plead for the sake of the elect forevermore. If you'll glorify me, I will glorify you in the great work of salvation. And then he went and described it. You've given me authority over all men. I will give eternal life to all those that you have given me. We're, we're going to be glorified in the great work of salvation. This doctrine of salvation is hardly taught anymore. But this is the doctrine of salvation that gives God the glory. If eternal life depends upon me getting some message to you and you accepting that message, then when we get to heaven, the glory is going to be upon me and upon you. But when we get to heaven, there's going to be no glory given to any man. And the difference between heaven and hell will be the names written in the book of life. 
which is not based upon any works of men, but upon the choice of God that put those names there, and the Savior who died for them, and thus it's called the Lamb's Book of Life. Because He's the one that gives eternal life to all those who have their names written in that book. The Lord Jesus Christ has power over all flesh. Let me tell you that there is a day coming according to the Word of God when He will have men standing before Him saying, Don't you remember that we preached in your name and in your name did all sorts of wonderful works? He, the Lord Jesus Christ, will profess unto them, I never knew you. My Father did not choose you. He did not give you to me. And I did not die for you. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. They are still in their sins. What a dilemma for those that think Jesus died on the cross for all the sins of all men. If that's true, what in the world are they going to hell for? Going to the lake of fire for? Why? Jesus is a great Savior. And I'll tell you one day when he speaks, you're going to want to hear peace from his mouth. You're going to want to hear, he's one of mine. He's in the book of life. I lay down my life for him. Father. Oh yes. Father, I lay down my life for him. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And we will enter into joy, brethren. And we will sing and shout his praises. And about his love and about his kindness for all of eternity. John 17, 2 is one powerful text. God gave Jesus Christ power over all flesh, reprobate and elect, and he will give eternal life to all the elect, as many as thou hast given him. Not one more is going to be saved than what God chose and put in Christ, and not one less. So don't think you're the one less. Rejoice and in confidence of your salvation. Rejoice in assurance of your salvation. And all of it was designed for the glory of God. He would have never created Eden and put Adam and Eve in it without this being the end result. This was the goal right here. The 6,000 years of human history, or whatever it may be, are playing out on a stage for the glory of God in the salvation of sinners. That he was able of one lump to make some vessels to honor and some to dishonor justly, perfectly, gloriously, graciously, and kindly. And he'll get all the glory for eternity in heaven. Verse 3, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. There are so many that think you must know the true God and Jesus Christ in order to get eternal life. But the Bible tells us eternal life is given so that we might know the only true God and His Son, Jesus Christ. God has ordained and predestinated that Jesus Christ would be the firstborn among many brethren. He wants a family in heaven that will praise Him for all of eternity for what He's done for them. And that is us knowing the true God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and it results from God predestinating us to the justification provided by Christ and the regeneration done by the Holy Spirit of God. That is the Bible order. Which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them. 
Because they're spiritually discerned. We better be given a spiritual new man that is able to spiritually discern before we'll ever know the true God and His Son, Jesus Christ. We have been over these verses many times before, and there are many more verses than these that prove this point. But we want the order the way God's Word gives us the order. As many as were ordained to eternal life, believed. Does that verse help you understand John seventeen three? God's ordination to eternal life comes first, and then we believe because of that. This is life eternal. That there can be a race of sinners who will praise you forever. That you reached past the, the fallen angels and the devil himself to save sinful men and to lift them up into heaven where they will praise him. When you get into Revelation chapter 5, you see them praising him. They know that they were chosen out of, out of every nation, tribe, family, and tongue to be the redeemed family of God. And they know him. And the Lord and the Lamb are the light of the place where they will spend eternity. And they are we. They are us. We are talking about the elect of God. We are the ones that are going to be there in eternity. And God has given to us eternal life so that we might know him. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. What an accomplishment is that? Nothing. Let not the mighty man glory in his strength. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he knoweth and understandeth me. That I execute loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. God has given to us eternal life that we can glorify Him and glory in Him because He's revealed Himself to us. If He had not given us eternal life and a spiritual new man, we would not know Him nor delight in Him. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Does the Bible say these things? You can read them in Psalm 14, Psalm 53, Romans chapter 3. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. By nature we would choose sin and always have chose sin over the Lord Jesus Christ and the knowledge of God. Look what men have done. God has revealed himself so powerfully through the creation. What do they do? They make little idols to worship. Can you believe it? You know, the Apostle Paul, I said this last Sunday, I I, I believe I did. The Apostle Paul got to Mars Hill with the Athenians, the philosophers, and he said, what in the world are you men doing? Your own poets admit that we are the offspring of God. If I and you are the offspring of God looking like this, why are you worshiping something made out of stone? Now, that, now that's good reasoning. Amen. That's good logical reasoning. And the Athenians and all their learning weren't able to see through that because God had blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts because with the knowledge they did have, they did not own a creator God. You know how we know that there's a creator God? Because the blessed God has given us eternal life to know him and to know his son. Amen. Look at 1 John chapter 5 with me. Do you think 1 John is close to the gospel of John by its... Writer, do you think he might have said some things that sound familiar? You're thinking right. There's a God in heaven that's able to inspire his pure, perfect words through the pens of different writers who each have their own style. 
First John chapter 5 and verse 20. Look at this. We know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. It is eternal life for God to give you an understanding because that understanding comes out of that eternal life He puts in us. If He did not put it in us, all we would have is our depraved and deceitful heart that is desperately wicked above all things. But by His grace, He puts in us a new man by which we understand God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Not until the Lord opens the hearts. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. You cannot know Jesus Christ. Look at how Jesus puts it in Matthew 11. This will be the last place I turn. There's many more. Matthew chapter 11. We want to know the proper order of verse 3. Where it says, and this is life eternal. That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. God sent Jesus Christ into this world to obtain a family for God. A peculiar people, zealous of good works that know God and will praise Him for all eternity. And He gives eternal life to make us so. We do not give Him anything for us to get the gift of eternal life. He gives it to us. Matthew 11, verse 25. At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank Thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, Because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father, save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. No man knows God except those to whom the Son reveals the Father. And he does that by giving the gift of eternal life and opening up their hearts with a new man that is spiritual understanding that is able to know the things of the Spirit of God. I'm going to go back on my word and give you one more. Jesus said, Whom are men saying that I the Son of Man am? In Matthew chapter 16. And they said, Well, some think you're Jeremiah. Some think you're Elias. Some think you're John the Baptist. I mean, they were, there, were, there were all sorts of ideas about the identity of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, who do you think I am? Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Amen. What did Jesus say? That's good, Peter. I'm going to save you now because you think that way. He said to Peter, Peter, flesh and blood hath not revealed that unto thee. Right. No mama can teach a son that knowledge flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee but my father which is in heaven that's where that knowledge comes from by the grace of God John chapter 17 verse 3 and this is life eternal that they might know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent observe that at this point he's praying to his father about a transaction taking place among them, between themselves that would affect all the elect. Father, the hour has come. I am come to the event that you sent me into the world for. If you'll glorify me, and he would, if you glorify me, glorify me, I'll glorify you in the salvation of all the elect so that they can know thee, the only true God, and his son Jesus. 
so that for the ages to come, there will be a group of saved sinners in heaven that know the true God and know his son, Jesus Christ, and will worship him accordingly for all of eternity. That's the first three verses. What a goal, what a drama, and what an accomplishment. Jesus did all of that for us. He says in verse 4, and here is one of about six verses in the chapter where past tense verbs are used and perfect tense verbs for actions that were still in the future. You'll find a number of them. But do you know what? The Lord, by the Holy Spirit, and comparing spiritual things with spiritual, the Holy Spirit tells us that He is able to call those things which be not as though they were. He is able to call future things past because of the certainty of His power and the certainty of His covenant to do them. So the Lord Jesus says in verse 4 in His prayer, I have glorified Thee on the earth. But He wasn't done glorifying God on the earth. He was going to glorify God in His death and in His resurrection. I have finished the work which Thou gavest me to do. And yet we know that on the cross is when He said, It is finished. You know, there's one being in the universe that can call those things which be not, they're still future, as past. That's Romans 4.17. If we compare Scripture with Scripture, we can find out when a point is to be made, they can alter verb tenses for our comfort. Jesus Christ is so certain of God's commitment to Him, and He is so certain of His commitment to God, that he is going to glorify God and he is going to finish the work which God had given him to do in every respect. Nothing was going to hinder it. There was no fear of men or devils that was going to get Jesus Christ to back off on his commitment to keep the will of his Father. And so he's addressing the Father at the moment of the hour that I'm going to pass right on through this, O Father, into thy presence. Jesus, when he went to the cross was not thinking or worrying about the cross so much as he was looking beyond it to the glory and the reward that was set out in front of him. Hebrews 12, the first few verses tell us that. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Because he he saw the glory. He saw the pleasure at God's right hand. And he was so sure of it he could pray in verb tenses that we otherwise would argue from in a different sense. But since they're spaced throughout John 17, and since we're told by the Holy Spirit how we may understand them, we do so here. He tells the Father, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. I have lived according to the law that you have given me. I have been about my Father's business from the earliest days. And I'm going to lay down my life. It's a certain thing that I will do for you and finish the work of redemption. This is our high priest. This is how confident he is. He is, there's no doubt about it. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. He is speaking of that moment, which was still 43 days away, in which he would be in heaven, glorified by his Father. That he, as the God-man, would be reinvested with the glory that he had as the Word of God before the world began. This is where we see the dual natures 
of the Son of God. The Lord Jesus Christ has a divine nature that was the Word of God, that was clothed with all the glory of God. So the Bible would tell us, He did not think it robbery to be in the form of God. But He became humiliated in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, who was a poor man on earth for the suffering of death. But after He suffered death, and He was once in a manger, and He was once on a cross... But he is no longer in a manger or on a cross. He is seated at God's right hand forevermore. And he has been clothed and crowned with glory and honor. Remember Psalm 8, how Paul explains it in Hebrews 2? We don't see everything under the feet of man yet. Because Psalm 8 says, God hath put all things under the feet of man. Paul says, we don't see everything under his feet yet. Hebrews 2.9, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. The Lord Jesus Christ has been put at the pinnacle of the universe. There is a man at the head of this universe. He is the man Christ Jesus. All angels, devils, and men report to him. All principalities and powers report to him. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God through his intercession that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come. There is nothing. There is only one over him. That God may be all in all. The Lord Jesus Christ, the man, will be subordinate to God through all eternity. That God may be all in all. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 28. What it describes here in verse 5 of John 17 is the Father, I mean, is Jesus Christ in his prayer. Lord, Father, I've finished the work. I've done everything. Oh, there's a few more steps that I'm about to finish. Glorify me. Lift me up and give me that reward that I know about by promise and prophecy to be seated at thy right hand with all the glory of the glorified Christ. And when we go into the book of Revelation, does this man who wrote these words meet a different Jesus Christ? Did John meet a different Jesus in Revelation chapter 1? He fell at his feet as dead. And he knew him intimately. And how about his description in chapter 19 on his white horse? How about his eyes that were a blaze of fire? How about his feet as burning brass? His voice is the sound of many waters, the two-edged sword cutting both ways as it came out of his mouth, the pure vestment, the glory of the Son of God. The Bible tells us that heaven doesn't have need of a son because God and the Lamb are the light thereof. This is the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ for the joy that was set before him, for the glory that he was promised, for the pleasures that are at the right hand of God forevermore, Psalm 16 The Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross. And that's what he's asking for in verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And we see that fully expressed and shown when he ascended up into heaven. I love the death of Christ. The Bible tells us so much about it. I love the resurrection of Christ. The Bible tells us so much about it. I love the ascension of Jesus Christ. What was the last mystery of godliness about which there is no controversy that it's great? Received up into? Received up into glory. You have never seen power. You've never seen glory. You've never seen honor. 
until you see the Lord Jesus Christ in the Bible. And even then, these eyes of faith are weak compared to what we're going to see when we get to heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ has been highly exalted. From that passage in Philippians, and with this I close, that passage in Philippians, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He was the word of God. Then he became the word of God made flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he did that and went to the cross for us, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Glorify thy Son that thy Son may glorify thee in the salvation of sinners by humiliation and then exaltation. And Father, give me that glory back that I had before the world began. And now that glory, a large measure of it, is in Jesus, the Son of God, our brother, one of our race. The Lord Jesus, the God-man, is in heaven, glorified at the right hand of God forevermore. And when you see him, it is the image of the invisible God that you will see, and you will have never seen anything like it. And he's waiting for us, and he prays for us at all times, because he ever liveth to make intercession for us. O Father, he prays on our behalf. We shall never be lost. We're his forever. He is God's forever. Therefore, we are God's, and we are are in God's possession. And we are to be one while we are here. And our focal point is to be one in the Lord Jesus Christ as we come around his table. May Jesus, our Lord, and God, our Father, bless these words to us, that we may rest our souls in this life and in the next on his finished work, which he did for us, that God may receive all the glory. Amen.